Hello and welcome to our podcast, Carefully Examining the Text. Today, our text is Psalm 41. Let's read these words, which end Book 1 of the Psalms. For the choir director, a psalm of David. How blessed is he who considers the helpless. The Lord will deliver him in a day of trouble. The Lord will protect him and keep him alive, and he will be called blessed upon the earth. And do not give him over to the desire of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him upon his sickbed. In his illness you restore him to health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak evil against me. When will he die and his name perish? And when he comes to see me, he speaks falsehood. His heart gathers wickedness to himself. When he goes outside, he tells it. All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devise my hurt saying, A wicked thing is poured out upon him, that when he lies down he will not rise again. Even my close friend, whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me, and raise me up, that I may repay them. By this I know that you are pleased with me, because my enemy does not shout in triumph over me. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity, and you set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Psalm 41. It may be that verses 1 through 3 state the conclusion after the experiences of verses 4 through 12. He has experienced sickness. His enemies are anxiously anticipating his death, but God has raised him up, and therefore he composes the lines of verses 1 through 3, that the Lord is kind to those who consider the helpless, and he doesn't give them over to the desire of their enemies. Some who study the Psalms and who write on the Psalms are divided as to whether we should see this as a psalm of thanksgiving for deliverance or a psalm of lament which begs for deliverance. But either way, we see the basic idea. We see the writer's distress. We see his enemies rejoicing. And we see an expected or accomplished deliverance of God. Psalm 41 begins with a beatitude. Blessed or how blessed is the one who considers the helpless or poor. Psalm 1 started with a beatitude. And Psalm 41 does as well. Psalm 32 also began in this fashion. How blessed is he who considers the helpless. Now, this particular word considers is used often in the Bible to reflect, to think about something. Interestingly, the object of our contemplation is the poor, 
But the obvious implication is that he considers the poor to act on their behalf, to do something for them. And the one who considers the poor and the helpless, the one who is gracious to the one in need, as Proverbs 19 verse 17 says, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him. The one who does this is going to be protected and defended by God. There are six basic lines at the latter part of verse 1. After that line, how blessed is he who considers the helpless. After that line, there are basically six lines from the rest of verse 1 to verse 3, stressing how God will protect and God will guard the one who considers the helpless. The Lord will deliver him from trouble, one. The Lord will protect him and keep him alive. The Lord will call, this one shall be called blessed in the earth. Verse the third line, the fourth line, do not give and do not give him over to the desire of his enemies. Or some have that as a justive, do not give him over. Uh, the ancient versions kind of support that idea. But the idea here may be that the Lord does not give him over to the desire of his enemies. In verse 3, he sustains him upon his sickbed, and he restores him to health. The one who considers the helpless, the one who blesses others who cannot help themselves, is one who will be blessed by God when he is in need. And I want us to ponder that, and Lord willing, come back to it. What was the crisis that the writer experienced? He is emphatic in verse uh, 4, or I is emphatic to say he's speaking of his experience. I, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. The plea for God to be gracious is stated in verse 4 and later in verse 10. Be gracious to me. And notice in verse 4, heal my soul, for I have sinned. Later in the psalm in verse 12, he is going to appeal to his integrity, the fact that he is righteous and innocent. But here he acknowledges his sin. It's interesting that these things are found in the same psalm. Heal me, O Lord. For I have sinned against you. So here he acknowledges that to some degree he has brought difficulties upon himself. But most of this psalm, or at least the heart of this psalm, from verses 5 through 9, are going to stress his enemy's response or reaction to his distress. His enemies speak evil of him in verse 5. They speak evil against him, and they're asking, when is he going to die? I wish he would just hurry up and die. When will he die and his name perish? When will that happen? They are anxiously anticipating the news of his death. And in verse 6, when he comes to see me, he speaks falsehood. 
His heart gathers wickedness, and he goes outside and tells it. In his heart, he's collecting information. He's gathering information. Everything that is told to this visitor by the psalmist is taken to heart, and he delights in telling all the troubles that David is experiencing. They whisper against him in verse 7. They devise his hurt. They devise his trouble. And they are hoping in verse 8, he lies down and he does not rise. And not only are these enemies, as they are described in verse 5, not only are enemies joining in this, those who hate him joining in this in verse 7, but even his close friends are joining in this. In verse 9, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. It is amazing that David can hope for more mercy against the God he has sinned against, in verse 4, than he can from his closest friends. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, O help of the helpless, abide with me. Even my close friend, the man of my peace, one writer stressed, just in reading that phrase, the man of my peace, we might see that danger awaits because often in the Bible, when that phrase is used, it is used to show how these men of peace have disappointed the person who's put confidence in them. You see an example of that in Jeremiah 20, as Jeremiah uses the phrase. And in Jeremiah 33 and verse 18, as he uses the phrase of Hezekiah. Uh, that was uh, Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 10, Jeremiah 38 and verse 22. But my close friend, the man of my peace, whom I trusted. Now, maybe that was a mistake because the Bible warns against putting our trust and our confidence in man to put our tr trust and confidence in God. In Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8, but you see, we all, to some degree, put our trust and confidence in others when we tell them things that are important to us. And yet, all these things were used against the psalmist. He's lifted up his heel against me. The words, the consonants for the word healed are the same in Hebrew as the consonants for the word Jacob. He's acted like a deceiver to me. Golden Gay translates this. The point, the closest friend has acted treacherously toward him. But he begs God to be gracious to him. In verse 10, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this, I know that you're pleased with me, that you don't allow my enemies to triumph, that you uphold me in your integrity. 
Now, verse 13 ends the first book of the Psalms with the words, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. This ends book one of the Psalms. Book two of the Psalms is ended in a similar way in Psalm 72, verses 18 and 19. Book three of the Psalms in Psalm 89, verse 52. And book four in Psalm 106, verse 48. All end in similar ways. And book five ends with a flurry of praise as all of the psalms from 146 to 150, all of those psalms begin and end with the words, Praise the Lord. The book of Psalms moves from lament to praise in its very structure and in a sense that is the movement of all human history. But one thing we've tried to do is to emphasize how the Psalms relate to Jesus. We don't want to undercut the careful exegesis of the Psalm itself, but we also want to see how it fits into the canon of Scripture, how it fits into the whole of God's revelation. We cannot read Psalm 41 as speaking exclusively of Jesus. We can't do it. Because verse 4, the writer acknowledges sin, something that Jesus was never guilty of. Jesus did no sin, and no guile was found in his mouth. 1 Peter 2 and verse 22. So we can't apply these words exclusively to Jesus in the sense that we just jump beyond David's circumstances to those of Christ. We can't do that. But at the same time, we are committing a grave error. We are committing an equally great error if we just look at this psalm in light of David's experiences and we do not recognize the experiences of Christ. In verse 9, even my close friend whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Those words are quoted by Jesus in John 13, verse 18, to speak of how Judas was going to betray him. David experiences the betrayal of a close friend, one in whom he confided his secrets, one whom he told the dreams and desires of his hearts. This close confidant of David has betrayed him. Jesus experienced the same thing. Now, I'm sure some of you have experienced that at profound levels, but I want you to understand that Jesus has experienced betrayal by one who is intimate with him. Jesus experienced that. His close friend who has eaten his bread in the Bible to eat together was a show of loyalty to each other. That's why often meals were eaten at the conclusions of covenants. Genesis 
26, verse 30, verse 31, Genesis 31, verse 54, Exodus 24, verses 9 to 11. In all of these cases, when covenants are being sealed between people or between God and the nation of Israel, meals are eaten because meals were a show of loyalty by the guest to the host and by the host to the guest that we would do nothing but good to one another. And yet, it is one who has eaten at Jesus' table, Judas, who would commit this act of treachery. My close friend in whom I trusted, who has eaten my bread, has lifted his heel against me. I believe that probably in context, Psalm 41 applies originally to David's experiences at the hands of Ahithophel. Ahithophel turned against David and turned toward Absalom, even giving Absalom the counsel, sleep with your father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. It's Ahithophel that gave that counsel, and David felt betrayed. But Ahithophel, ultimately, when he sees when he sees that this insurrection is doomed to rebellion, he hangs himself. So does Judas later. The fate of Ahithophel foreshadows the fate of Judas. The fate of the enemy of Psalm 41 foreshadows the fate of the greater enemy, of the enemy in the greater fulfillment of Psalm 41. But I want you to notice this psalm, reading the psalm through these lens of looking at Jesus. Jesus, in verse 1, truly considered the helpless or considered the poor The word which is used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament here in 41.1, was a word that was often used to describe how Jesus preached the gospel to the poor. Matthew 11 in verse 5, in Luke 4.18, and in Luke 7 in verse 22. It's used at other times to talk about Jesus' concern for the poor. So if anyone was the blessed man in light of the first line of this psalm, it was Jesus. But Jesus did not experience in this life all that Psalm 41, 1 through 3, promises to the one who considers the helpless. For example, in verse 1, the Bible says the Lord will deliver him in the day of trouble. That word deliver that was used in the Greek translation of this Hebrew text, the word that was used is used by the religious leaders to mock Jesus in Matthew twenty-seven forty-three. If he trusts in God, let him rescue him now. Let him deliver him now. And... In that day, on that day, there was no deliverance for Jesus. 
You see, Jesus considered the poor and considered the helpless, but he didn't experience the blessings of this psalm. Also, in verse 2, the Bible says that he will not be handed over or given over to the desire of his enemies. The word that's used in the Greek translation of this is used for Jesus being handed over to enemies. In Matthew 17, verse 22. In Matthew 20, verses 18 and 19. In Matthew 26, and verse 2. It is striking that Jesus doesn't experience the blessings that the one who trusts in the poor would be expected to experience in this life. Oh, he experiences all the trouble that's described. His enemies in verses 5 through 7 are speaking evil of him and plotting against him, and they're anxiously awaiting his death. We see that in John 11, verses 47 through 54. We, we see that they speak falsehood against him continually. Jesus experiences all the mistreatment but doesn't experience the ultimate deliverance. Does that mean God's promises fail? No. The enemy said in verse 8, when will he lie down? He will not rise up. Again, he's not going to rise up. But the same word is used in the Hebrew text in verse 10, but you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up. The word raise in verse 10 uh, in the New American Standard is in the same word rise in verse 8. The point the enemy is saying, he's not going to rise, but he is pleading to the Lord, raise me up. The word that's used in the Greek translation is a word that's used to speak of the resurrection of Christ. The fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. God ultimately did deliver him in the day of trouble. God ultimately did not give him over to the desire of his enemies. God did that, but not in this life. And what Christianity teaches us, what the death and resurrection teaches us, is that God will deliver that God will bless his people even if we don't see those promises fulfilled in this life. The psalmist stated in verse 12, you set me in your presence forever. Jesus ever lives in the presence of God to make intercession for us. Hebrews 7, 23 through 25. Jesus fulfills Psalm 41 in a marvelous way. May the Lord bless and keep you.